0: Welcome to Well That Was Weird, the podcast Serial Saturday edition, where each episode we talk about different things and weird events in our world's history, serial killers and the like. And this week, we are discussing the curious case of Phineas Gage. Yeah,
1: Phineas Gage. Um <laughs> Uh, this guy, uh, for those of you di- who don't know, uh, he essentially ushered in the modern era of neuroscience <laughs> via an unfortunate accident involving thirteen pounds of iron flying through his head, <laughs>
0: <laughs> rocketing a, an iron javelin essentially uh, launching itself through the bottom and back up the top of his skull. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, like chance at an unfortunate accident.
1: Yeah, um, it just so happens that, it, yeah, it, it ushered in the modern era of neuroscience because a bunch of people d- kind of wanted to know, A, now spoiler alert, how did he survive this, and B, why did it actually like affect his personality and everything afterwards?
0: Yeah, and that's, that's one of the bigger concerns um, that it always comes up if, You talk about Phineas Gage is what he was like before the accident versus how he was after the accident because, as we'll get into, this is one of the most insane injuries that someone has been able to actually live through for an extended period of time. Yeah, Um, and he lived several years after I think maybe like ten years after his accident, and then died due to complications that rose from it years down the road. Um, So. Phineas Gage, we'll get into a little bit of his background here in a minute, but long known as the American Crowbar Case, (laughs) once termed uh, the case which more than all others is calculated to excite our wonder, impair the value of prognosis, and even to subvert our physiological doctrines, Phineas Gage influenced 19th century discussion about the mind and brain, particularly debate on cerebral localization is a hard one cerebral and was perhaps the first case to suggest the brain's role in determining personality and hmm. that damage to specific parts of the brain might induce specific mental changes. Okay. Gage is a fixture in the curricula of neurology, psychology, and neuroscience. One of the quote, the great medical curiosities of all time and a living part of the medical folklore frequently mentioned in books and scientific papers he even has mm-hmm. a minor place in pop culture. Despite the celebrity, the body of established fact about Gage and what he was like, whether before or after his injury, is quite small, which has allowed fitting of almost any theory and hearsay and, and made-up, mm. uh, you know, like information. Uh, yeah, it was a long time of, ago. Yeah, it was. It's been watered down, and a lot of fake information has been made about him. Gage has acted as a Rorschach inkblot in which proponents of various conflicting theories of the brain all support their own views. Historically published accounts of Gage, including scientific ones, have almost always exaggerated and distorted his behavioral changes, frequently contradicting known fact. A report of his physical and mental condition shortly before his death, implied that his most serious mental changes were only temporary. Okay, So that later in life, he was actually more functional and socially far better adapted than in the years immediately following his accident. A okay. social recovery hypothesis hmm. suggested that his work as a stagecoach driver <laughs> fostered his recovery by providing him a daily structure that allowed him to regain his social and personal skills. So he worked as a stagecoach driver after correct
1: the accident, like the people who carried around the double barrel shotgun, people? pretty much yeah.
0: I think he drove, even though he only had one good eye after the accident. Oh, I mean,
1: this dude's a yeah. badass. Because I think I mean, he, uh,
0: we'll get into it, but I think he did it to he physically couldn't do what he did before working on the railroad, working with explosives. <laughs> one, he had one eye, and two, I think like he got exhausted more easily. Like his body just. Was broken down. I
1: mean, afterward. an iron spike through the head would probably do that to you. Yeah, I'm surprised he could even drive. Um, I guess let's let's get into the details of the accident because it requires a little bit of explanation and backstory as to what the hell he was doing to get a, an iron spike, like a javelin, essentially.
0: Yes, launched through his head. <laughs> yeah. So, Gage uh, was the first of five children born to Jesse Gage and Hannah Trussell. Yeah. Um, in New Hampshire, little is known about his upbringing, only the fact that he was literate. So he knew how to read and write. Oh, he he was literate. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, a physician who knew Gage before his accident, John Martin Harlow described him as a perfectly healthy, strong and active young man, 25 years of age. Uh, and I'm not quite familiar with this term. nervobilious temperament. Uh, um, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what that, I don't know what that means. Um, uh, he was 5'6 in height, average weight. He weighed one Small dude. 150, possessing an iron will, ironic, ah. uh, as well as an iron frame. Muscular yeah. system unusually well-developed, having had scarcely a day's illness from his childhood up to the date of his injury. Okay. Um, so he's a strong dude. Oh, okay, it goes on to say, the pseudoscience of phrenology, which was then just ending its vogue, nervobilius yep. denoted an unusual combination of excitable and active mental power with injury and strength of mind and body, making possible the endurance of great mental and physical labor. Oh. So I guess it just means he was very sound mind and very healthy, so he could... He could do stuff like working on building railroads he could do a lot the of the tough work. And maintain a positive attitude, I think, is what it's trying to say. Like, he wasn't really thrown off by that physical work labor. That work would kind of suck. Yeah. <laughs> then, uh, it says Gage may have first worked with explosives on farms as a okay. youth in nearby mines and quarries. Uh, he was known to have worked construction on the Hudson River Railroad near in New York. Okay. By the time of his accident, he was a blasting foreman, possibly an independent contractor on railway construction projects. Okay. His employer's most efficient and capable foreman, a uh, shrewd, smart businessman, very energetic and persistent in executing all plans of operations. Mm. He had even commissioned a custom made tamping iron, which is a large large iron rod for use in setting explosive charges.
1: Okay. Okay. Now this tamping iron. Okay. So 43 inches long. Yep. So just shy of four feet. Mm-hmm. And about one. One one and a half inch diameter rod. Yes, is it sharp on one end like a spear?
0: His was yes, because I think one end was sharp and the other was kind of flat. Okay, so he would what they would do, I think, would drill down into the rock and then pour gunpowder, a fuse. And he'd use this and, thing to, and he would use it to tamp it like a it musket down. almost. Correct, that's exactly what it is. You pack it down, and what that does is you put clay and things on top of it and that disperses the energy from the explosion out into the rock. Correct. So it blows instead of blowing back at him or yeah. anyone instead else. Instead of acting would, like a gun. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, instead of just using that drill hole as a fucking rifle barrel, you know. Yeah. It would disperse throughout the other rock and then they would okay. have them to do maybe multiple times depending on how it blew up.
1: All right, fair enough.
0: So, um, and the area in which the accident actually happened, uh, because I'm sure you know they don't really change railroad routes even uh-huh. over hundreds of years, is still around. You can go there. They don't know the exact location, but yeah. it's in this area. There's a picture of it. Um, okay. It's the Rutland and Burlington Railroad. Okay, um, so
1: it's like, it says it's Vermont, like mm-hmm. uh, Cavendish, Vermont. Yeah. Is kind of where, where this happened?
0: So it says... <coughs> On September 13th, 1848, Gage was directing a work gang blasting rock while preparing the roadbed for the Rutland and Burlington Railroad south of the village of Cavendish, Vermont. Okay. Setting a blast entailed boring a hole deep into an outcrop of rock uh-huh. adding blasting powder and a fuse, and then using his tamping iron to sa- to pack the clay and sand and any other inert material into the hole above the powder in order to contain its energy and direct it into the surrounding rock. Okay. As Gage was doing this around 4.30 p.m., his attention was attracted by his men working behind him. Yeah. Looking over his right shoulder, turning his head and inadvertently bringing his head into line with the blasting hole, Gage opened his mouth to speak. And that same instant, the tamping iron sparked against the rock and the powder exploded, rocketing from the holes so the tamping iron. So at this time, it iron. did work
1: like a rifle. It did. But it was more like a harpoon gun. (laughs) Pretty much.
0: Like if he was wailing, (laughs) that's that's what he got hit with. Uh, Rocketing from the hole, the tamping iron, which is one and fourth inches in diameter, three feet, seven inches long, weighing 13 and a fourth pound, entered the left side of Gage's face in an upward direction, Okay, just forward of the angle of the lower jaw continuing upward outside the upper jaw and possibly fracturing his cheekbone. It passed behind his left eye through the left side of his brain and then completely out of the top of his skull through the frontal bone. And it landed like 80 feet away too, It landed 80 feet behind him.
1: (laughs) This is like a 13-pound iron javelin. They got sent 80 feet away. So,
0: you know, I feel like it's more common nowadays when people see those injuries of... uh, what, what are the, the bending irons in concrete uh, um, that you use to, like, reinforce concrete? Oh, like rebar. With? Rebar. Yeah. It's common to see those injuries of, like, rebar falling off of trucks and going through people's skulls. Yeah. Imagine that, but it's a spike, and it went through all the way. It just went through this
1: dude's, like, face and head and came out the top. Okay.
0: So it says, despite 19th century references to Gage as the American crowbar case, his tamping iron, in fact, did not have a bend or claw. Yeah. Uh, like a normal crowbar would. It was a spear. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a pointed cylinder attributed to a javelin. Okay. And it was round and mostly smooth. <laughs> okay. Um, the tamping iron landed point first, like an Olympic javelin Like a thrower. javelin, okay. 80 feet behind him, smeared with blood and brain. <sighs> Gage was thrown onto his back and gave brief convulsions of his arms and legs but within several minutes was speaking and walking with little assistance (laughs) after he sat upright in an ox cart for the three-fourths or 1.2-kilometer ride to his lodgings in town. Oh, God. About 30 minutes after the accident, Edward Williams, who was a physician, found Gage sitting in a chair outside a hotel and was greeted with what he said, one of the great understatements of medical history. Okay. So this this is his account. He said... When I drove up, he said, Doctor, here's a business enough for you. I first noticed the wound upon the head before I alighted from my carriage, the pulsations of the brain being very distinct. Oh, God. You can okay. see his fucking brain moving. Okay. The top of the head appeared somewhat like an inverted funnel, as if a wedge-shaped body had passed from below upward. Mr. Gage, during the time I was examining this wound, was relating the manner to which it, he was injured to bystanders that had gathered. I did not believe his statement at the time, but thought he was deceived. Mr. Gage persisted in saying that the bar went through his head. Yeah. Mr. Gage got up and vomited. (laughs) The effort of vomiting pressed out about a teacup full of his brain through the exit hole, which fell upon the floor. (laughs) That's disgusting. It's
1: disgusting, horrifying. But also, he was like alive and conscious. He was alive this.
0: and working. It's like that part of his brain, it was almost like it didn't function before. Yeah, <laughs> like his body was just like, I don't need that. Like, what, what if that was like the part of him that was like, Hey, you can do math, <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> know? And he was like, I never used that before. <laughs> and then he goes to like, ask. he's like, How many apples you got? He's like, That's why we haven't cured know. cancer yet. Yeah. He
1: lost that part of his brain vomiting blood. Phineas
0: Gage could have cured cancer and then he took a javelin through the skull. Yeah. Can you imagine? So he bends over and he's like, and the. You ever notice when you just horribly vomit? Like you feel that pressure in your head? To think that that's actually your brain moving around. Getting
1: squished and his just kind of came out. It's just just
0: through the top of his skull. A teacup. A small handful of brain just <laughs> black on some dirty floor outside of a hotel. I just this is probably wasn't the weirdest thing those people had ever seen, though. No, probably not. Yeah, Last year, you. little Bobby got gored by that bull out yeah. by the farm. Yeah. <laughs> he ripped him in two. Uh, <laughs> Harlow took charge of the case around 6 p.m. So this is like roughly two hours yeah. after this incident. Okay. He said, You will excuse me for remarking here that the picture presented was to one unaccustomed to military surgery.
2: Oh, my (laughs) God. Truly
0: terrific. But the patient bore his sufferings with the most heroic firmness. Oh. He recognized me at once and said he hoped he was not much hurt. He seemed to be perfectly conscious, but was getting exhausted from the hemorrhage. His person and the bed on which he laid were literally one of gore and blood. Okay. Gage was swallowing blood also, which he regurgitated every 15 to 20 minutes. Oh, lovely. Okay. With William's assistance, Hartlow shaved the scalp around the region of the tamping iron's exit, then removed coagulated blood, small bone fragment, and what he said an ounce or more of protruding brain. After probing for foreign bodies and replacing two... How do you clean that? How do you clean a brain without fucking it up? Um, You can't, like... Yeah. You got me there. Because, like, normally, if you get cut, you're pouring, like, alcohol, cleaning things. You can't pour anything directly on your brain. I don't right? think so. <laughs> that fucks you <laughs> up. <laughs> like, I don't think so. I mean, do they people, just. People died from getting cut on, like, a fence post.
1: Yeah, back in back in these days. Yeah, because bacteria was just running wild. And this dude had his head open.
0: I don't, uh, anyway. After probing for foreign bodies and replacing two large detached pieces of bone, Harlow closed the wound with adhesive straps, leaving it partially open for drainage. Oh. Yeah, he was smart. The entrance wound in the cheek was bandaged only loosely for the same reason. A wet compress was applied and then a nightcap over top of that to rele- uh, then further bandaging to secure the dressing. Harlow also dressed Gage's hands and forearms, which along with his face had been deeply burned in order that Gage's head be kept elevated. So, like, I mean, it was a legit explosion. So, like, not only did the rod go through his face, but he got burned from gunpowder and, like, everything else. Late that evening, Harlow noted, mind clear, constant agitation of his legs being alternately retracted and extended. He does not care to see his friends and shall be at work in a few days. (laughs)
1: the guy's like nah i don't need to see him i'll see him a few days when i when i bounce back from this
0: so despite his own optimism Gage's convalescence was long difficult and uneven though recognizing his mother and uncle summoned from new hampshire 30 miles away the morning of the accident on the second day he lost control of his mind and became decidedly delirious oh by the fourth day he was again rational Knows his friends, and after a week, still alive. Further improvement. Harlow entertained for the first time thought that it was possible he was going to recover, and that improvement, however, was of short duration. Okay. Um, and there are f- there are two known pictures of like actual pictures yeah. of Gage yeah uh, that were identified only recently in two thousand nine and two thousand ten. Um, there are actual pictures you can look up of his skull, which we'll get into in a minute. Yeah. Uh and then there was a life cast that someone had I think tried to make from the skull that we thought I think that was the first reference of how they thought he could have looked. Oh, okay. And then when the pictures were discovered it was like, oh yeah, okay, that's him.
1: I mean, I'm I'm looking at, you know, some of these pictures of him and Apparently, he did get a, a picture or two made after the accident.
0: Yeah, those are, those are, like, the only ones, really, of him in existence.
1: And the pictures of him, he's holding this thing that went yeah. through his head. He kept it. He kept it like a
0: souvenir, and he was proud of it. Yeah, like... He was paraded for a while. We'll get into a bit. he was paraded like a sideshow attraction. From, like, from
1: surviving this, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at this thing... So apparently somebody, some doctors somewhere did a study on this because they wanted to kind of see. So they actually did like a full scan of his skull. Yeah. Because his skull was kept by,
0: I don't know, somebody in the medical field. Yeah, after he died, the same doctor I think that was friends with him went to the family after he found out. Cause he, he actually didn't talk to Gage for years. Yeah, And it was like, oh, I wonder what he's up to. And then I guess just heard by word of mouth like oh he passed away yeah and went to them was like would you mind giving me his head (laughs) and they were like all right yeah sure that's an interesting (laughs) conversation
1: yeah because he was already dead at this point right yeah he had already been buried for some time and they actually like had to dig him up and take Mm -hmm. his head off
0: he was exhumed yeah
1: (laughs) exhumed and head removed yep and then i'm sure they did all the stuff they'd normally do like to get all the skin off the head boil it it, and uh, (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm looking at this scan, this like 3D rendering of this dude's skull and the injury involved. And it kind of shows you the path this, this rod took through this dude's head and the resulting nerve damage to his brain. Um, Simply put the entire left side of his brain was, was, was dead. I mean, just looking at it and the angle it went through was probably the most fortunate angle Mm. possible because it hit just under his left cheekbone like in like if you open your mouth that's
0: that's why they said like when he turned his head he opened his mouth to talk yeah and that's i think what because according to the pictures if the skull picture is accurate he didn't lose any teeth he had a full mouth yeah i mean maybe he lost
1: a couple on the top end but it went through like like under there behind his left eye and then out the top of his head yeah I mean, I guess if you're going to get a spike through the brain, that's, that's probably the best way possible. The best I way guess. possible. <laughs> like, all right. I just. Um, Excuse me. Yeah, you you really need to look up these pictures because there's a lot of a yeah. lot of them.
0: Yeah, the pictures crazy. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to my wife about this, and she mentioned I didn't know this, but apparently, brains don't stay together. Like, when no. you, if you remove someone's brain, it crumbles. I didn't yeah. know that. I thought, like, you see all these depictions of people, like, oh, it's holding a brain. brain. Yeah, they're like, no, that, it takes chemicals and things to harden it to make it like yeah, that. Yeah, because otherwise it's just like jelly. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. It was just crumbles, like, you know, anything. Yeah, cool. yeah. So this is beginning 12 days after his accident. He was semi-comatose, seldom oh. speaking unless spoken to, and then answering only in monosyllables. Okay. On the thirteenth day, Harlow noted that failing strength, coma deepened, and the globe of his left eye became more protru- protuberant. Ooh. Um, so it was like with, swelling with fungus and deteriorated, infected tissue. So his oh, eye God. was his eye was dead. Essentially, it was just okay. rotting in his skull. Yeah. Um. Pushing out rapidly. So it was draining with all this pus and fungus out of his oh, brain. Okay. Face from the wounded brain and coming out of the top of his head. So the top of his head was pushing out even more infection. Um, by the 14th okay. day, the exultations from the mouth and head are horribly fetid, comatose, but will answer monosyllables if aroused. Will not take nourishment unless strongly urged. The friends in attendance and hourly expected of his death... And have his coffin and clothes in readiness. So they were ready for him to be dead. They were like, he's yeah. not going to survive this. No. It's a miracle he's lasted 14 days. Yeah, absolutely. Galvanized. Well,
1: I mean, <laughs> we're talking about the days of, this is pre-Civil War. Yeah. And you hear about all the like horrific Civil War battlefield, like surgeries, like hacking people's limbs off while
0: they're yep. completely conscious and alive. There's not much they could do for this dude. It was really not, and I'm surprised that he did as well as he did, like the doctor. Because the yeah. doctor was like, okay, we're going to put his skull back on. We'll shave it down. I'm like, who is this man? Like, What's up, Van Helsing? Like, what, have you, what have you been doing, Frankenstein? Like, it says, galvanized to action, Harlow cut off the fungi, which were sprouting from the top of his brain. It attached to this man's brain and was growing fungus. That is fucking horrific. Yeah. Oh, my God. It filled the opening.
1: I'm immediately thinking
0: of that video game, The Last of Us. I don't think I ever played it. Zom- I, I know what it is. Fungus I've- Zombies. Oh, okay. I, I never played it. I know what you're talking about, though. That's what I'm immediately thinking of with, like, like, a mushroom growing out of this dude's head. It says it made free application of caustic crystalline silver nitrate to them. With a scalpel, oh, that's I That's an acid. It- yeah. He says, with a scalpel, I laid open the frontalis muscle from the exit wound down to the top of the nose, and immediately there were discharged of eight ounces of pus with blood and excessively fetid. Gage was lucky to encounter Dr. Harlow when he did, writes Barker, uh, who did an article on this. Few doctors in 1848 would have had the experience with cerebral abscess with which Harlow left. Okay. Uh, from He went to Jefferson Medical College, in which probably saved Gage's life. It most definitely did. Yeah? On the 24th day, Gage succeeded in raising himself up and took one step to his chair. A month later, he was walking up and down the stairs and about the house into the piazza. While Harlow was absent for a week, Gage was in the street every day except for Sunday. Oh. His desire to return to family in New Hampshire, uncontrollable by his friends, went without an overcoat and thin boots, he got wet feet and got sick. He soon developed a fever, but my mid-November was feeling much better already. This guy. He's, he says, uh, they wrote, Harlow wrote, Gage appears to be in a way of recovering if he can be controlled. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if he can be controlled.
0: Ten weeks after his injury, Gage was strong enough to return to home, traveling there in a closed carriage enclosed by, uh, it was like used for transporting insane people
2: oh okay
0: um it was like a lockdown you know um he was feeble thin weak and childish on arriving by late december he was riding out improving mentally and physically by february of 1849 he was able to do little work with horses that's dangerous work still what are you doing man
1: yeah you get kicked in the head man
0: he was able to do half a day's work by may or june uh, in August, his mother told an inquiring physician that his memory seemed somewhat impaired, though slightly enough that a stranger would not notice. So he was showing effects like he was forgetting small yeah, things. Simple but, things. But if you didn't know him, you wouldn't know that anything was wrong with him. Fair enough. So it goes on to say that at the, uh, in April of 1849, there was loss of vision in his left eye, a large scar on his forehead from the draining of the abscess. Mm. Um, Gage's rearmost left upper molar adjacent to the point of entry through the cheek was lost. So he lost a tooth. (laughs) Okay. He lost a tooth. Uh, Harlow wrote that physically the recovery was quite complete during the four years immediately following. Okay. Um, in November of 1849, professor of surgery brought Gage to Boston for several weeks and after satisfying himself that the tamping iron had actually passed through the head, because they still didn't believe him, they thought yeah. it was just an explosion that did this. Yeah. Um, uh, they presented a meeting for him at the Boston Society for Medical Improvement and the medical school class to be examined. He was unable to return to his railroad job for a time was a living museum exhibit at Barnum's American American Museum in New York City. In Swoops Barnum. Yeah, so and then later on that became Barnum and Bailey Circus. Uh so there's this was even before then. There's no evidence that Gage ever exhibited with a troupe or a circus or a fairground. He was mainly there Interesting. just to kind of hang. Um he made public appearances in larger New England towns. Uh, He was, they described him then as being a shrewd and intelligent man and quite disposed to do anything of the sort to turn an honest penny, Yeah. but gave up such efforts because that sort of thing had not much interest in him. For about 18 months, he worked for the owner of a stable and a coach service in New Hampshire. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I know we're, we're pretty much at time here, but so essentially what he did was that he was so anxious to work. Yeah. He started looking around, putting asking for jobs, eventually made his way to California where some of his family moved and then went from San Francisco down to Chile oh. where he found this coaching job and started driving a coach. Okay. Um, he had many ill turns, though, while he was in Chile, uh, especially during the last year of his life and suffered from hardship and exposure. Eventually, he made his way back to San Francisco, and in February of 1860, he had epileptic seizures, he lost his job, and they increased so frequently and severely, he continued to work in various places, but he just kept losing his jobs because he was having seizures.
2: Uh, well then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. In
0: 1866, Harlow, uh, who had lost all trace of Gage and well-nigh abandoned all expectations of ever hearing from him, yeah. learned... That Gage had, in fact, died in California. Okay. Um, After a night of just frequent and nonstop seizures, Gage eventually passed in the early morning hours. Okay. Um, Harlow contacted the family, and at Harlow's (laughs) request, the family had Gage's skull exhumed and personally delivered to him. He was then... He was by then, at this point, he was already a prominent physician and businessman and a civil, civic leader in Massachusetts. Okay. About a year after the accident, Gage had given his tamping iron to Harvard, but he later reclaimed it and made what he called my iron bar, his constant companion during the remainder of his life. Whew. That, too, was now delivered to Gage's family and then, again, delivered to Harlow. Okay. Some accounts assert that Gage's iron had been buried with him. There is no evidence of this, however. After studying them for um, several years, 1868, um, Harlow re-deposited uh, the iron, this time with the skull, in the yeah. Warren Museum, where they remain on display until today. In
1: which museum?
0: Uh, it says the Warren Museum. So, so I can go see this. Sounds like it. Okay. Okay. Um, It says the tamping iron now bears the following inscription commissioned by some dude named Bigelow.
2: Okay. okay. um,
0: In the conjunction with the iron's original deposit in the museum, though the date uh, given for the accident is one day off. So they got it wrong. But it it says on the description that this is the bar that was shot through the head of Mr. Phineas P. Gage (laughs) at Cavendish, Vermont, September 14th, 1848. He fully recovered. And deposited this bar in the Museum of Medical College of Harvard University. Phineas P. Gage, Lebanon Grafton, January sixth, 1850. Okay. The date, January 6, 1850, falls within the period during which Gage was in Boston under. Oh, he was under Bigelow's observation. I see. Okay. In 1940, Gage's headless remains were moved to Cypress <laughs> Lawn Memorial Park as part of a mandated re- relocation of San Francisco cemeteries. Okay. Um. And that's, I mean, essentially, there's there's a lot more in this article there, that you can read as far as...
1: Well, yeah, because he had some changes to his personality. Um, you know, the reports, and like we said, these can't be entirely corroborated, but uh, they report Gage as being a hardworking, pleasant guy, kind of prior to the accident. Yep. And then post-accident, uh, the same reports describe him as a changed man suggesting that the injury had transformed him into a surly, aggressive alcoholic who was unable to hold down a job. Um, but other evidence suggests that the supposed effects of the accident may have been exaggerated by Phineas himself, huh. and were actually he was actually far more functional than previously reported. Um, so Gage had been described as energetic, motivated, and shrewd prior to the accident, and many of his acquaintances explained that after the injury, he was no longer Gage, is kind of what, the way they put it. And uh, since there was little direct evidence, um, it's really difficult to know, kind of like we said earlier. But Harlow's accounts, this doctor that we, we, we've brought up numerous times, suggest that the injury did lead to a loss of social inhibition leading Gage to, to behave in ways that we're seeing as inappropriate at the so time. So he's kind of just like he lost his filter almost? Yeah, kind of like he just gave no fucks after this. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, would you? I mean, yeah, if you had an iron rod fly through your skull, I mean, I don't know if that's, if that's due to the accident or if it's like I survived that so I just don't care anymore. Yeah, like, hey, an iron rod went through my skull and I lived. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean... apparently in a 94 study uh, researchers did some neuroimaging techniques which is kind of like what these pictures we were looking at to reconstruct gage's skull and determine the exact placement of the injury yeah their findings would indicate that he suffered injuries to both the left and right prefrontal cortexes uh which would result in problems with emotional processing and rational decision-making.
0: That's that's the thing that's fucked up with serial killers, right? Yeah. Like the thing that stops them from being able to make a rational decision to not kill someone. Yeah, basically.
1: All right. So this dude, with his insane constitution to survive something like this, he could have been one of the most prolific serial killers we've ever seen. <laughs>
0: If he wasn't having seizures all the time. If he wasn't having seizures all the time. They later find a notebook, and he was like, my plans are coming together. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're
1: so lucky his seizures stopped him. Thanks, seizures. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that about wraps up the story of uh, Phineas Gage. I hope you found it interesting.
0: That was, I think, one of the most unnerving things that I've ever read was the vomit and pushing the brain (laughs) this brain out of his skull falling
1: out onto the floor
0: yeah that's pretty horrifying yeah um fungus attaching itself to your brain yeah and he's like what's going on up there like let's cut it off can you imagine he's awake during that Mm -hmm. and they're like all right we're gonna use a scalpel to cut fungus off of your brain yeah what did they have morphine back then um i don't think so
1: like opium yeah, I don't think so. Um
0: Just like drink a bunch of alcohol.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really that I really thins don't your blood don't and make him bleed so. more, right? Um uh, yeah. Uh I'm guessing I I don't really know what they what they could do for him. Um but uh I guess uh next week um We will get into, I want to do the story of the Viant Dam in Italy. Uh, So we'll get into that story next week. So hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you again later on in the week for another regular episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.